This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another edition of BeckQLU presented by BeckQL. It helps you get smarter and helps you beat the sports books. Download the BeckQL app today in the Apple App Store or Google Play. And if you're listening on a Tuesday, March 2nd, you can also get a three-star bet on Baylor minus four. BeckQL has a three-star bet on the Bears. Or you could bet the Illini at plus six and a half. A three-star bet on Illinois at Michigan at plus six and a half. Presented by BeckQL. Uh, now it's time to bring in my co-host, Tom Casale at the Tom Casale on Twitter. I'm Eli Herskovich. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich, what's going on today, Tom? Uh, not too much. You know, I'm excited. It's March. We're we're almost there. We lost it last year, and we're a couple weeks away from the big dance. Hell yeah. I had a shitty Monday. Lost that Oklahoma bet. They were up by five. It seemed like Brady Maddock had a wide-open three. Missed it. Oak State follows that up with a big run, like a 7-0, 9-0 run. Oklahoma has a couple chances to tie the game, maybe get to overtime. Can't do it, and I lost that Oklahoma bet. But it's on to... Tuesday and the rest of the week now as we look ahead to the rest of the card. Any any non-college basketball comments from you this week, Tom? Any weightlifting stories to get the people going? No, uh, you know, the weightlifting's going good. Uh, I have, uh, <laughs> I scheduled my vacation. I got the vaccine scheduled. You know, I, I'm pretty excited. I'm going to lose 15 pounds so I can gain 25 pounds on vacation. I'm, uh, you know, I... We're turning the corner. It all starts with March Madness. It it began when we lost March Madness, and now we're back one year later. A couple comments there. Are you and your wife one of those couples that, like, before you go on vacation, you have to lose, like, X amount of pounds before you go to a beach or something like that? And then part two is, I can't get a vaccine scheduled for the life of me. I've been trying for the last month. And it hasn't worked out. So I'm a little jealous. Yeah, well, the, the problem is, is you got to get yourself some diabetes like me. I've had diabetes <laughs> for 35 years, type 1. So they, they let me in early. Uh, but no, the I don't know. It, someday I'll send you a picture of my family and my cousins. And you can, you can kind of see where our metabolism is at. So I have to work hard not to be fat. And uh, if I'm going to go on vacation, I got to be in better shape than I normally am because I'm going to I'm going to eat. And when Casales eat, it doesn't go well. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better when I do bench press, I don't feel it in my biceps anymore. So I thought you would like to know. Well, that. well good. So you finally you hired a trainer. He taught you. You probably had your arms turned around. You got to, you, you were probably doing bench curls. <laughs> Not going to deny that. Won't get into it anymore. <laughs> But let's get into the card for the rest of the week. And let's start off with Tuesday's college basketball action. We're going to try to get this out as soon as possible so everyone can get their college basketball bets in for today. Let's start off with the biggest game on the card, or one of them. West Virginia against Baylor at home. This line's sitting at Baylor minus four on the road. Baylor coming off of a loss at Kansas and a loss against the spread to Iowa State early last week is around 23, 24-point favorites at home. They came back, won that game in the second half. But... Baylor has not looked good since the uh, three-week COVID layoff. 
No, and uh, this will be an interesting game because it'll be their third game back. I mean, typically on these COVID layoffs, by that third game, you're starting to get back to normal. They obviously have a tough, tough schedule the rest of the way. They have West Virginia tonight. You know, they have Oklahoma State coming up, uh, Texas Tech uh, to close out the season. So if I if I'm Baylor, I mean, I obviously don't want to lose all three of these games, but they're so good. I think they just want to round back in the form before the tournament starts. Make sure like everything's behind them. So I don't know. If, like I know some people are worried about Baylor because they lost to Kansas. First of all, Kansas is playing really well. Second of all, it was their second game pat. Uh, back from COVID. I am not worried about Baylor one bit when it comes to the tournament. So I won't be surprised if West Virginia beats them tonight. I think the line's about right. I'm going to lay off. I, I got a hunch you're going to be on the Mountaineers at home. Yeah. If you go back to a couple, actually a few Big 12 games that Baylor's played in, just in terms of if people think you're getting a discount on Baylor because they failed to cover in back-to-back games and they lost outright to Kansas on Saturday. So going back to the Kansas game on Saturday, they were four and a half point favorites on the road. They were four-point favorites at Texas Tech earlier in conference play and sandwiched in between two of those games. They closed minus five and a half at Texas, maybe around minus five, depending on the book that you got it at. I was on Texas that game, lost lost it with the Longhorns. But the point is, is that you're not getting any sort of value because Baylor hasn't looked good off the COVID layoff. And the difference between Baylor and Michigan, I know Michigan was off for two, three weeks before that Wisconsin game. They pl- didn't play well in the first half. They came back in the second half. It's not like Michigan had any COVID cases that we know of. Baylor, we don't know which players had COVID, but we know there were COVID cases within the program. The Michigan thing was more of a university protocol. So if you go back to the Kansas game, Tom Watachua, one of Baylor's bigs, barely played and didn't look right. Same thing with with Damba down low. So kind of to the same tune for uh, for Kansas, if West Virginia is able to get Derek Culver going down low, which I think they'll be able to, even though Baylor has a decent interior defense. That's how you can beat them. And that's what Kansas did. McCormick scored like 10 plus points in the first half. And Kansas took over in the second half in transition. If Culver plays like the Culver that doesn't turn the ball over, then West Virginia has a shot to win this game outright and definitely keep it within a couple possessions. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we both like West Virginia as a final four caliber team. So, you know, I would expect this game to be pretty competitive if Baylor wasn't on a COVID layoff. You know, West Virginia played Gonzaga earlier in the year, and they played them toe-to-toe. This is a team that I think once we both think once they get into the tournament, they can beat anybody on any night. So uh, this is going to be a good game. I'm just going to sit back and watch to see where Baylor's at heading into those last two games. Other big game tonight in the Big Ten is Illinois at Michigan. And that line was around, I think, eight, eight and a half last night on Monday. It's now down to six and a half because I had to assume it was seen warming up so Michigan minus six and a half at home against the Illini. Is this a dog spot for you in a huge game, not only in the Big Ten, just from a conference perspective, maybe a preview of the Big Ten championship game, but also for Illinois to get a one. Yeah, I, I like Illinois in this game. I think they're one of the few teams that matches up with Michigan. You know, the we got to give the Illini credit. We, we both liked Wisconsin on Saturday. What a dog team they are. I mean, God almighty, do they stink. But Illinois was able to go in there and win without DeSumo. Now, they're not going to beat Michigan without him. We, everyone on earth knows that. So I, that's the key point. Is he going to play? How much is he going to play? Let's say he's 80 90%. That I, I like the Illini to cover this number. I think it's going to be a very close game. 
One area where you can beat Michigan, and it's tough. This is one of the best defenses in college basketball. Indiana tried it, just couldn't finish around around the rim. Like, Tom, the last couple games with Iowa and Indiana, I, I know it's because of how good Dickinson is defensively on the block, but those guys missed, between him and Trace Jackson Davis, missed a ton of layups at the rim. Michigan is allowing the highest two-point scoring rate in Big Ten play, Illinois averaging the second highest two-point scoring rate offensively. So if DeSumo is right, and he's not bothered by the mask, and he can get to the rim, along with Curbelo, who's playing really well over the last couple games. Illinois can keep this thing within a couple possessions. I I think the market's still inflating this thing a little bit, even though Michigan might be the best team in college basketball. It might be time to have that conversation if you look at the way the books are pricing their futures. I At this point, man, I do think they're better than Baylor. It doesn't make me afraid to bet Illinois tonight. I can't because in the state of Illinois, and you can't bet it because of Illinois legislature, can't bet on Illinois college basketball teams, but I do think Michigan is becoming the best team in college basketball, especially if Mike Smith plays the way he's played over the last few games. Yeah, and I can't argue that. Uh, Michigan, to me, uh, Big 12, Big 10, the two best conferences. So you're looking at the two teams in those conferences, Baylor and Michigan. I mean, you can certainly argue right now that the Wolverines are the best overall team in college basketball. One thing I'll point out, though, if if they ever get in a really close game, we've mentioned it many times on this podcast, they do not turn you over at all. And sometimes in those close games, you need those those easy buckets. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see. When Michigan gets in tight games in the tournament, if that if that hurts them, but you know, again, I I think this is the type of to me Illinois could be the fourth best team in the country. They're in that fourth, fifth, sixth area for sure for me. So that's a team I'll probably if it's in the right region take to make the Final Four. So this to me this is a Final Four matchup, and are you going to give me eight points in the Final Four? I don't care how good Michigan is, I'll take that every time. You mentioned Michigan turning you over. I, I know Kansas had 14 turnovers on Saturday, but didn't have a ton in the second half. And when Baylor is not turning you over, it's a completely different game. So we'll be interesting to watch with West Virginia tonight and moving forward. Let's move on to the Wednesday college basketball card, Tom, as we have not as big of a slate as tonight, but still some pretty good games. So big game in the Big East. If Creighton wins out, I believe they win the Big East, win the Big East regular season title. Not that that means a lot unless you have a future on any sort of regular season futures in college basketball. But Kempon makes this line Villanova minus three, total of around 149. I like Villanova in this spot. If you look at Villanova, they're struggling on the road. They lost their last three road games, including at Creighton. They got destroyed by Butler. That game isn't even as close as the final score, 73-61. I mean, Butler dominated that game. But I like Villanova coming home in this spot. I don't like... Creighton or Villanova, to be honest with you, in the tournament. But Villanova, to me, is one of the most fraudulent teams in the country. So in terms of the tournament, I don't like them. But here, coming home in a nice revenge spot, I still think their offense matches up well with Creighton's defense when it's on. So if it's three or less, I'll probably take Villanova. Anything more than that, that's that's probably going to price me out of the game. I'm with you. I think maybe two and a half is my buy point with the Wildcats. Both teams kind of match up really well. Uh, from behind the arc because of how bad their perimeter defenses are, respectively. Villanova giving up the fourth highest three-point scoring rate in Big East play. Creighton giving up the third highest perimeter scoring rate. Creighton shot over 70% from two-point land against Villanova and around 50% uh, against the Wildcats from three. So that could continue because of how poor Villanova's defense is playing. I mean, they're seventh in the conference in adjusted defensive efficiency during Big East play. 
So maybe Creighton keeps that up tomorrow. Maybe if you if you see a three and a half with Villanova, don't take it. But because of the way they played against Butler, they shot two of 27 from three. We've seen Villanova teams kind of collapse down the stretch from behind the arc. Like a couple of years ago, it reminds me of when the Wildcats just really played poorly down the stretch, lost to Purdue in the round of 32. Uh, Purdue shot the lights out from three, I believe, in that game. So, yeah, I, I, I lean towards Villanova the more I think about it. It's it's probably a stay away, but if I can get like a two, two and a half, I'll definitely think about it. Yeah, that Creighton was as hot in that game as maybe any team I've seen all season, but they just could not miss. I understand Villanova's defense is an issue, but that was a, that was a hot shooting night from, from Creighton. Uh, I think coming off the loss, I, I like Villanova at home where they've played a lot better and in the revenge spot after getting blown out by, by Creighton. So I would lean it three or less, anything more, probably a stay away. Staying in the Big East, just want to see if you have any th- a thought on this game. UConn at Seton Hall. Seton Hall favored by a point at home, another Big East game on, on Wednesday's college basketball card, March 3rd. The total in this game is projected to be around 137. Would you give a look to Seton Hall coming off back-to-back losses, or is UConn just playing well enough with, with book night and defensively where you stay away? Yeah, I'm going to stay away here. I I kind of lean UConn. Uh, I, I just think they're the better team. And since they've gotten Booknight back, they lost to, by eight at Villanova in a game that was pretty competitive. Uh, they've won four others. So this is a team to me that's on the rise. Uh, I'll be interested to see what they do in these last two games and in the tournament, in the Big East tournament, because I, I think they're one of those maybe lower seed sleepers come tournament time that might win a couple games. Looking at this game from a matchup perspective, UConn with the highest offensive rebounding rate in Big East play. Seton Hall does have a size advantage, but they're actually one of the worst rebounding teams, especially on the defensive end in in conference. So if UConn's able to attack the glass, which they should be able to, and turn Seton Hall over, which is also another area of concern for for the Pirates, then could could win this game by a possession or more. So maybe if you're getting UConn at the pick, there's a little bit of value. But to Tom's point, I'm going to stay away from this game. Over to the Pac-12, UCLA at Oregon. This line projected at Oregon minus two. Ducks are coming off three straight wins after losing to USC last Monday. They knocked off Stanford. We were both on that game. Touched on it on the podcast last week. Beat Cal, covered that game over the weekend, and then covered at home against Arizona on Monday. So they get UCLA at home. This, uh, I believe it was rescheduled from around early January. And now these are two teams on completely different paths because you said UCLA would have had Chris Smith at the time. He's done for the year. And man, defensively, UCLA is slowly but surely becoming one of the worst from behind the arc. Yeah, it's an interesting game because you, I think you know Mick Cronin's doing a pretty good job there after losing Smith. I think he found his right rotation. You know, They went into Colorado. They won four straight. I actually like them plus six in that game. I didn't take it. They lost 70-61, but that was a tight game most of the way. So I do think UCLA is playing better. But, you know, Oregon, that was a team we were both on a few weeks ago is the Dana Altman kind of turning the tide late in the season. I mean, their only loss um, since February 4th was to USC, like you said, and USC is a really good team. So I I think you're getting some value here, Oregon minus two. I kind of like that play. My only concern with Oregon is I believe this is their like eighth game in 17 days, yeah. something like that, which is eight games in a little over two weeks is a lot. But looking at their conference, I want to get back to the game in a second, but Oregon to win the Pac-12 right now is still sitting at plus 350 at some books. The way they're rounded out here down the stretch, the way they're 
their personnel is acclimated to that 2-3 matchup zone when Ullman goes to it and the press to, to turn you over because of how good this team is from beyond the arc, especially when they get out and running in transition. I think that's a pretty bettable number, a plus 350, and it's probably going to only go down from here. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and you mentioned, um, you know, UCLA's defense. It's to me, that's where the difference is going to be in this game. They do not guard the three point line well. If Oregon's hitting those outside shots, I, I think two is a pretty generous number in in this game, to be honest. And I and I'm actually a little probably higher on UCLA right now than you are, because I, I do think that they played better over the last month, but. On the road, two points at Oregon with the way Oregon's playing, I have to strongly consider taking the Ducks if I get two or less. All right, over to the ACC, Louisville at Virginia Tech. Louisville coming off a kind of a must-win game for them to just improve their seeding in the in the uh, NCAA tournament. And maybe if I don't know if they played poorly enough down the stretch, they could have played themselves out. Malik Williams though did re-injure that foot. The Louisville big, he's now out for. You know, about the next six weeks, six weeks, which probably well, it rules him out for the rest of the season because uh, Louisville is not making a run to the title game for for all we know. Uh, but Kempa makes this line Vatek minus two total of around one thirty. Yeah, this is uh, this is probably my play of the week if uh, if you want to call it that. I, I like Virginia Tech quite a bit in this game with no Malik Williams. The you look at uh, remember Virginia Tech had that layoff two week layoff. They played on February 6th, and they were off for two weeks, lost to Georgia Tech, and then they blew Wake Forest, out of, and I mean blew Wake Forest out of the water, <laughs> beat them by legit 40 points. So I think this is a good spot to back Virginia Tech with uh, Louisville coming off the Duke game and now no Malik Williams. Yeah, I don't know who guards Keve Aluma on this, in this Louisville front court without Malik Williams. I mean... Samuel Williams, Williamson maybe can match up. Withers played some decent minutes against Duke down the stretch, but that was more so offensively at some big buckets. Aluma could have a big day if they force feed him inside early and maybe play inside out because Louisville's perimeter defense is actually pretty solid. It's the Cardinals offense that struggle a lot in ACC play. We talked about that over the weekend with Louisville Duke. Hope some of you took Louisville on the money line. Uh, Louisville 11th in ACC play and adjusted offensive efficiency, but fourth has the fourth lowest adjusted defensive efficiency in conference play. So uh, if, if Aluma doesn't get going early and, and Louisville is able to lock down on the perimeter, maybe they could slow down this Vatek offense, but it starts with Aluma. I don't know how the Cardinals match up. So there's probably a little bit, bit a little bit of value in Vatek. I'm leaning towards taking that as well, Tom, but not a, not an official play for me just yet. It's not a play of the week for you yet. The, you know, the, the thing that, the thing that, you know, concerns me is we mentioned on Saturday, that Louisville was just getting right. You know, and that's kind of why you took them against Duke. They, they they had beaten Notre Dame. They were just getting right against Duke. Now they suffered the setback again. So, to me, I think now Virginia Tech is just getting right. Coming off that COVID, an easy win over Wake Forest, playing at home. I really like uh, I really like the Hokies here in this spot. Clemson at Syracuse, another ACC game to hit on. Syracuse favored by one on Kempom. Clemson blew this orange team out going back to a couple weeks back. But Syracuse had a big win over UNC on Monday night after closing around two, two and a half point dogs against the Tar Heels. I, I kind of like the Orange here in a revenge spot, um, especially with the way they played against UNC. Now, granted, UNC did not shoot well in that game on Monday, but I mean, Clemson's offense is pretty sporadic too. UNC shot 420 from three against Syracuse against that zone. I know you want to hate out Jim Behai, but if you shoot 
420 uh, against a 2-3 zone, you're not gonna you're not gonna win the game. No, and uh, I mean UNC traditionally uh, whoops on Syracuse. Uh, I believe uh, Roy Williams was 10 and one in his last 11 heading into that game. So yeah, the problem with UNC is it's just not very good. Uh, they don't have any outside shooters. So they struggled to, I mean, but Syracuse is so stinking bad that that became a two point game at the end. I mean, that the final score in that game was 72-70 and that was a 10 to 15 point Syracuse win. So that'll tell you how bad they are. But going back to Clemson, I actually, that was the last game I took off my card that Saturday, February 6th. I liked Syracuse at Clemson. Luckily, I didn't play it because they lost by 17 <laughs> points. But the way Clemson, North Carolina's offense is much better fit for the zone, even though they struggled against it. I, I don't like the way Clemson plays offense against the zone if they're not hitting shots. Now, they were in that first game. They scored 78 points. But I do agree with you. I think this sets up nice for Syracuse in a revenge spot. If Clemson is struggling from shooting that ball like they can in a lot of games this year, I think Syracuse gets the win. Yeah, I mean, they shot, what, 60% from from two in that game, Clemson did. And so they got the ball inside at the free throw line and worked it inside out. And then they shot above 40% from three. So I'm with you there. Gurrier for Syracuse, just going back to that game against UNC, was playing with the knee injury, but played pretty well. So doesn't seem like that's going to be a concern for for the Orange going into this game. I mean, this means a lot. Uh, Syracuse is right on the bubble. Clemson, probably not an NCAA tournament team. Actually, no, they are an NCAA tournament team at this point. But Syracuse on the next, next four out in a couple of bracketology projections I was looking at earlier today. So because it's a revenge spot, because I don't expect Clemson to shoot this well against that zone again uh, for the second time this season, probably a little value in Qs at around a pick. Yeah, and, and just remember, there's no fans in the Dome. If you've ever been there, it's obviously a big place for fans. But Syracuse is still much better at home than they are away. Most of their bad losses have been on the road this year. So they, they have played better in the Dome, even with no fans. So I, I do like them here. Uh, the problem with Syracuse for me is that the market loves them. Uh, for for as bad a team as they are, they're always favorite or they're three-point dog. So I don't think you're really ever getting much value with Syracuse. But if this is close to a pick, I'll consider taking them. And one of the rare spots that I will back Jim Beheim in the 2-3 zone. Because of the way Clemson's playing, even though they didn't cover against Miami over the weekend, we both benefited from that. I, I think they, I, I think Syracuse is probably a pick, maybe at worst minus one. And maybe honestly, the market might drive this thing back to Clemson because of the way they played in the last game against Cuse. Yeah. And, you know, right around pick is where I think it should be. So uh, that, that would be the time to pull the trigger on Syracuse. I won't like him if they're like a two point favorite. All right, one last Wednesday game to hit on is Mississippi State at Texas A&M. Your game of the year, it feels like, the way you were talking this up before the podcast. My game of the year is anytime Texas A&M comes back. If they, I, I've had I've had them against Arkansas and about ten other teams written down for plays, um, but they keep canceling their games. I, who knows if this game is going to get played? But man, Texas A&M has not played since January thirtieth, and they weren't a very good team before that. So whenever they come back. I think they're in for a, for a tough go of it. And Mississippi State is playing pretty well. I mean, you know I had a, I had Alabama on Saturday, and we lost at a shot at the buzzer. But Mississippi State played well in that game. I thought, you know, maybe they might get blown out with Alabama coming off a loss. But they, they beat Mississippi. They beat South Carolina, played Alabama tough. I just think that anytime A&M comes back, no matter who they play, 
that's a that's a bet for me. Ken Palm has this line at like two or three. No way. It's going to be at least six. No, I, I like your look there just because of the layoff. Maybe a first half angle. If you can get Mississippi State like minus three, minus three and a half. I know they lost to Alabama over the weekend, but they were pretty competitive in that game. And they, they blew out South Carolina earlier in the week too. Not that that's anything to ride home about. But their backcourt with Molinar is playing really well. Like, didn't he have the, the backdoor bucket? Uh, against Bama yeah. on Saturday, <laughs> yeah, the the one that got me, right? That was uh, but, not fun for you, but one eight in a row. I mean, you know, uh, some of those going to start going against you sooner or later. But just the, with a long layoff, I mean, we hit a couple of those in the Patriot League. We had Loyola over Lehigh after the long layoff; they got blown out of the water. Bucknell with the long layoff against American, you know, that game was tied at half and then Bucknell lost their legs in the second half. I mean, think about it. January 30th. What were we, That was before the Super Bowl. So I, I just find it hard that this team's going to be able to come back, have their stamina, have their legs for, for two halves of college basketball. Uh, I'll take Mississippi State in this game regardless. Now we hit on the Thursday college basketball card. Big, big 12 game to touch on. Texas at Oklahoma. Kempom makes this line, Oklahoma by one, and I'm assuming this thing's going to be opening around maybe more so as a pick. Oklahoma losing three in a row. They lost back-to-back to Oak State, and before that, lost to Kansas State. Texas coming off a loss, two or three losses. Uh, they lost to Texas Tech most recently on Saturday. Maybe a couple calls that didn't go in their, right, their way. Mac McClung got a, a very favorable call down the stretch in that game. Uh, they beat Kansas in overtime, but then they lost to West Virginia. Blew that 19-point lead a couple Saturdays ago. And they play Iowa State tonight, so we don't know what the line's going to look like. But if if they – I expect them to blow out Iowa State, especially if Rasheer Bolton doesn't play for the Cyclones, my Iowa State Cyclones. I, I guess I kind of like Oklahoma coming off three straight losses in this game. If you go back to the last time these two teams played, Jericho Sims and Courtney Ramey didn't play. Oklahoma won that game by a point in Austin. So just because of the spot, I guess I lean Oklahoma, but it's also a huge game for Texas just to kind of get their their wheels underneath them before they head to the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, you know what I like in this game? I like it to be tied with 40 seconds to go. <laughs> uh, like every other Big 12 game that involves these same four or five teams. It's every game is with a minute to go is, is a one. So that's why I haven't been betting a lot of these games because I, I can't get a good edge either way going to be another close game it's going to be decided by a couple of buckets here or there and I just don't think there's any value I mean I like the spot for Oklahoma and I don't know how much I love this I Texas was a team about a month ago I was trying to get on but I don't know there's something about them there's something about teams that are always blowing leads I I, I don't know I, I I don't think I'm the biggest shock a smart fan to be honest with you but I lean Oklahoma I'm not going to play the game though yeah it's it's a great spot for Oklahoma I mean, they they could have they should have won both games. They were up by double digits in the second half against Oklahoma State on Saturday. And credit to Oklahoma State. Kate Cunningham had a huge game, didn't have a big game last night, and they still came back and won. Oklahoma just played poor, really poorly down the stretch, and Brady Manick missed a couple key shots. That guy's been so inconsistent, like his first 20-point yeah. game since non-conference play. Yeah, we were talking about that off air. I mean, I... I, I, he he played well overall in that game, but he he's somebody I was expecting a lot more from this season uh, when I was looking at Oklahoma. But hey, Oklahoma State, well, they're playing well, and they got a star player. They're they're going to be a tough out in the tournament. A couple other games to hit on, staying in the Big Twelve. Oklahoma State at Baylor. Speaking of the Cowboys, we don't know what's going to happen today with Baylor. I'm assuming if Baylor loses to West Virginia, loses back to back games. Now again, I mentioned the COVID factor, but 
just looking at it from a spot standpoint, coming off back-to-back losses, if the Mountaineers were to pull this off tonight, I, they would blow the doors off of Oklahoma State. And we saw it the last time these two teams played. I know Kate Cunningham didn't play. Oklahoma State made it kind of competitive. Are you a believer in this Cowboys team? If, let's say, Isaac likely plays, you mentioned they're kind of intriguing down the stretch, or, or would you just stay away from this spot? I'll probably stay away from this spot, but I am a believer in this team. I, I, you know, I think they're coached well. I think some of those other players have stepped up over the last month. And then you have, you know, probably the best player in college basketball in the tournament with a nice supporting cast. They're going to be a dangerous team. If they, and I also, what I like is, and we kind of been joking about it, like the game's being tied, but we've said this before, if the Big 12 has a bad tournament, Tom Casale's having a bad tournament because I, I like a bunch of these teams when when they're not playing each other. I think these these tight games that they're all having, that's going to benefit them come March. So I'm a buyer long-term on Oklahoma State. One area of concern for the Cowboys is turnover rate. I, I know they're playing well of late, but it's something to mention. Uh, yeah. I believe they're bottom three in the conference in turnover percentage. Baylor turns you over, obviously, at a high clip. We mentioned the Kansas game. They didn't do it in that game when they don't turn you over and maybe the COVID layoff factors into that just in terms of tired legs they they are vulnerable on that on that end of the floor defensively but I, I would expect just if Baylor were to lose this game against the Mountaineers that they come out just from a spot standpoint and they win this game they cover the line by you know 12 13 14 points but the market's going to come back on Oklahoma State in that game especially if Baylor loses so maybe if you're looking at the Bears to bounce back you can get some line value in that one uh, over to another game on Thursday's card, Michigan State at Michigan. Spartans play Indiana on, on Tuesday night tonight, so we don't have to spend a ton of time on this game. But if Michigan were to lose to Illinois, kind of similar to Baylor, uh, they're going to blow the doors off this Michigan State team and probably either way. Yeah, it'll be interesting, though, because this is such a, a you know, it's a rivalry game. If Michigan blows the door, you know, wins easily against Illinois. I mean, Ken Palm's got this at 16. Let's, let's, uh, let's say they beat Illinois and, uh, the line's 18. Uh, what would you think of that? Man, it'd be tough to pass on Michigan state, but and maybe it's a little recency bias. I know Michigan's interior defense is a little bit more susceptible, but you go back to that Maryland game. I watched the whole thing because I was on Sparty. They could not get the ball into the lane and they struggled with this too against Ohio state, Ohio state's perimeter defense is the worst part of the Buckeyes defense. And we saw that on Sunday against Iowa. But man, these guards from Michigan State, when they're playing in the half court and they're they're not in transition, they looked they looked so stagnant. I mean, they could not get the ball to the rim. They had one little run where they made it a five-point game, but Lankford hit a couple shots, still couldn't attack the basket. Aaron Henry, when he couldn't get to the rim, Michigan State couldn't do anything offensively. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'd take it, but, you know, 17, 18 points you get for Michigan State, you don't see that often. So I, I'd probably consider it for half a second. But the, uh, I, I'm not I'm not Eli. I'm not, I'm not going to make my living betting against Michigan. <laughs> you know what? I made some money betting against Ohio State of late. I have three straight wins of their three straight losses. So that's all I have to say about that. It's worked for one team, at least. At, but can we of- just a quick second, though? Rutgers, holy Jesus! Yeah, man. But, my God, blown the doors blown off them at Nebraska. That is an inexcusable loss. I, I mean, Teddy Allen left the program for Nebraska. They still wrecked him. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that team. That was uh, people were tweeting me take Rutgers second half. I said no chance. Like people see a, a what they were favored by, like eight or seven or eight going into that game. 
And then the second half line is like minus 10. They were down by 19. I was not touching that. And they lost the game by 20 plus. So I'm moving along here though, before we get to some conference tournament futures, one last game to hit on is Arizona state of Colorado. Sun Devils game against Wazoo got banged on on Monday, but they are scheduled to play this game against the Buffs. Uh, line is around twelve on Kempom. Yeah, I, I don't have a I don't have a strong opinion on this. Colorado at home is you know much better than they are on the road. Arizona State is a team I've said a couple of times. I I, I just can't figure them out. They were supposed to be a lot better than they are. To me, this has blowout written all over it. But I'm not going to lay twelve points. Yeah, no Bagley, no Christopher in the last game. I'm assuming they're done for the year, but we'll try to get some updates here before Thursday. If, if either one of those guys play, which I doubt they will, maybe it's a look to Arizona State getting 12 on the road. I mean, that's a lot of points, kind of like what you were talking about with Michigan State. The way Remy Martin's played down the stretch, too, he's looked like the Pac-12 player of the year that people thought they were going to get coming into the uh, the 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 season for, for Arizona State and a team that some people are actually betting to win the title, and I'm not knocking them. At around 35 to 1, they have the talent, but a few COVID layoffs and defensively, they haven't gotten right, especially with Bag- without Bagley and Christopher. So maybe a look to Arizona State. Let's see what the line opens up at and we'll see what kind of personnel Arizona State has going into that game. But either way, Colorado will have an advantage on the glass in that one. All right, Tom. So let's wrap it up here before we get to our guest for today's show. Uh, looking at some conference tournament futures, do you have one or two that stands out that start later this week? Well, yeah, you, we'll talk about this on Saturday too. But you know, I got to hit the Patriot League. Um, you know, Navy to me has played a pretty tough schedule. I, I have them rated as the best team in the Patriot League. They're plus two fifty to win the tournament. Colgate, the favorite at minus two twenty five. I think there's value with Navy. If you want a pizza money long shot, I think American at fourteen to one. American. Has, they've had some COVID layoffs. They, they've only had their starting lineup for six games, but they're four and two in those games. And the two losses were to Navy early on. And uh, they lost by one and by 12 to Navy uh, at Navy. So I, I think American is better than their four and five record. But to me, Patriot League is probably going to come down to Colgate and Navy. Give me the team at plus money that's played the tougher schedule. Okay. No, I, I like it there. And you're getting a little bit of value in that number. One one uh, future that I'm looking at, I know you have a future on them to win the title, and they've been hampered by some COVID layoffs. St. Louis, around plus 250 to win the A-10 tournament. They're healthy going into this one. And you look at some of the injuries that a couple other upper echelon teams the A-10 have had to deal with. Bones Highland and Vince Williams for a, a foot injury for Highland, ankle injury for Williams. I'm assuming they play, but they could be hampered, and maybe we'll get some news that they'll be out for the first one or two games for VCU, just trying to rest them going down the stretch in the conference tournament. And Richmond also with Blake Francis, uh, he dealt with an injury. He left in the second half against St. Joe's when Richmond lost that game outright. And obviously he's a big piece in the backcourt with Gilliard. So I, I St. Louis coming into this conference tournament, I think they have the best team overall, the way they're playing. They've got the guy kind of hosed in a game last week against VCU down the stretch. Maybe if they win that game, they have lower odds to win the conference tournament. So I think you're getting some value here with St. Louis. I mean, you look at a team that was valued around 100 to 1 to win the NCAA tournament coming into the season. Goodwin and Perkins is one of the better backcourts among mid-major programs. Hassan French is a low to deal with down low. And they're playing really well defensively too, especially down the stretch here in conference play against Richmond on the road last Friday and against UMass when they blew them out on uh, last night. So I think St. Louis is the best team in the conference and I think they showed in the conference tournament. A little bit of a look to Dayton, but I know they beat 
um, St. Bonaventure yesterday, but they're so up and down and they're so tough to trust, even with a, a healthy roster. So St. Louis is the play for me in the Atlantic 10. Duquesne might be worth a look against Richmond on uh, Thursday's card, especially if Francis is out and Duquesne's getting around eight or nine points. So that's our breakdown for the college basketball slate this week. Now it's time to take a quick break before we get to our guest today, Matt Metcalf, the sportsbook director from Circus Sports coming up next. It's time to start placing smarter bets, more profitable bets. If you're an experienced sports better or someone who's just starting out, BetQL is here to help us all become better bettors. BetQL runs hundreds of thousands of simulations and rates each potential bet on a scale of one to five stars. One star? Maybe skip that game. Five stars? That's like a big green light telling you to go. Look, you wouldn't torture your stomach with a one-star restaurant. Don't do it to your wallet. Get access to data and insights the sports books don't want you you to see we're talking about real proven analytics here not some hot takes from a random guy online betql's computer model analyzes every bet every day to find you the best opportunities pro and college games football basketball and more you can sort by sport or choose from a list of the best bets available right now in real time so before sitting down to watch your favorite sports see if the data backs up your betting instincts bet smarter and beat the books with betql download the betql app or Visit BetQL.com today. We talked Tuesday. We talked Wednesday. We talked Thursday college basketball card. We even talked some conference tournament futures. Now it's time to pivot and head over to Vegas with Circus Sportsbook Director Matt Metcalf. You can follow him on Twitter at MMPact. What's going on today, Matt? Hey, how you guys doing? Doing good. And you were tweeting about some college basketball futures and you pricing these college basketball futures over the weekend. Gonzaga at Circa, still the odds on favorite. At plus two sixty five, Michigan Baylor up next, and we'll go, we'll go through the uh, the rest of the odds board as we dive into the college basketball season and looking ahead to conference tournaments and futures with you. But kind of take the the audience behind the curtain a little bit and discuss your your odds making process, especially when you you try to you try to sort through some of these teams and futures. Yeah, so when it comes to futures, you know, I'm I'm heavily reliant kind of on my power ratings, and I I like to try to adjust as much as I can and, and try to get the most accurate reflection of what I think these teams are. And so you'll, you'll catch me kind of stepping out of line with the market. When I, when I see something happen, you know, when Michigan wins a couple games by 20 and I adjust their rating up to within a point or two of Gonzaga, you know, in my mind, I've got to move Gonzaga. I've got to move Gonzaga's odds up a little in terms of, you know, creating a, a better, a better plus price in them just because I'm trying to book to a hold um, as Michigan is better. And I'm lowering them from say five to one to like seven to two. Um, that causes me to adjust other teams. So Gonzaga, I creeped up, I think the other day to 355. I actually had Gonzaga and Michigan both at around seven to two for about five minutes. And then the market just like clapped back at me and pretty much told me I was dead wrong. It took Gonzaga plus 350, took Gonzaga three to one. So we're back around five to two. Um, we've seen some Baylor action this morning at around six and a half to one. Uh, we moved them down, I believe, to around five to one. And then I bumped Michigan up a little more in the nine to two neighborhood. So um, it's kind of back to kind of where it was before. But, you know, in my mind, I'm always searching for information. So I, if, if I can kind of try to figure out what the market thinks and, you know, as we get into March here, we're going to see more money enter the market in terms of people playing these futures. And so I will really want to get a good idea of what the professionals think before I kind of enter into that territory where I'm taking, you know, five and possibly six figure bets on these teams. Hey, Matt, you mentioned your power rankings. Um, is there a team whose record maybe isn't as good and maybe fans or the market isn't looking at as highly that you really like in your ratings? Um, if for all year to me, I know I've had Arkansas higher than the market 
and it's just started to kind of come around where I think they're they're playing a little better and they're getting some respect. I'll say the one team that's made the biggest jump in the past two weeks probably has been UConn. I've really noticed UConn start to come together and they're they're creeping up. They're in the top 15 now. My ratings. Um, a team that just doesn't seem to ever win the game that I think they're going to win is Wisconsin, and they're still sitting right around there at 12 or 13, and and they just keep losing these games that I think they're going to win. Um, yeah, I'm looking through. I mean. I'm trying to hit a team that, that surprises me that there's high. BYU is sitting right there in the top 30. They've been playing better. I don't know if that's a surprise to anybody. And Kentucky is still 32nd. So Kentucky, despite the fact that they just can't do anything right, you know, they're, st- they're still playing like a team that, that you know, is rated, is rated relative to the teams that are, are, are decent. Matt, what goes into your power ratings from a metric standpoint, from an eye test standpoint? What do you use? I'm, I'm not like the metric person at all. So, so honestly, I've kept ratings for about 15 to 20 years. And these are, these are ratings that I think are, are better for bookmaking because I'm not sitting here, you know, honestly, I don't watch a lot of games. Um, so I'm looking at what I would make when I'm adjusting a game, I'm going back, I'm looking through the box score a little, but I'm trying to think about if these teams played again tomorrow, what would I make the line? And then I'm trying to figure out based on, you know, where I've had this one team, am I wrong in one of these ratings? Okay, did I did I adjust Florida State up too much based on that win over this team? And, and you know, did I make a mistake? So I'm, I'm just, it, to me, it's like a puzzle. And you're trying to go back and figure out based on how you made moves in the past, where you were wrong, where you were wrong and where you were right. Um, so I'm kind of just trying to make numbers work in my head. So yeah, after I, I really love adjusting after each game, because that's that's the best test to me. Just try to figure out, you know, if these two teams play tomorrow, despite the fact that one team might have won by 30 points, that doesn't necessarily mean the spread is going to be 30, you know. Um, Alan Boston always has the best example of how to make a power rating, and he compares it to a golf handicap. And, you know, just because a professional golfer goes out there and shoots a 90 one day doesn't mean that they're a 20 handicap and can't play golf anymore. You know, you might tweak their, tweak their handicap point one, but you're not making these huge adjustments. And as you get further on into the season, the adjustments are very minimal to the point where, you know, I think we've really seen it in these back-to-back games where one team will come out and win by 30. And then you look up and the spread is the same for the next game. And so it really shows you how the pros are adjusting these power rings. They're not waiting one performance overly, you know, and they're not making these huge adjustments unless it's for an injury or something like that. Matt, we all know how good the big three are this year. Um, is there, do you see a team that might have more value down the, down the odds board or do you think one of those three teams is going to win it this year? It's it's really to me. I, I I really do think one of those three teams will win. I will say there's there's a glut of teams kind of right behind them, and I like some of the teams. I I was really high on Villanova because I kind of had this thing when you get into the tournament. I picture how high your ceiling can be because it seems like the teams that um, the good teams really take it to another level in the tournament. And so I'm thinking, okay, a team like Villanova, who's kind of a classy team in the, in a sense that you know they they're there every year and they're well coached. You know they might have a higher ceiling than a team. I, I don't know, like a team like. Arkansas or something who hasn't been there before. Um, so I did like Villanova until that ugly, ugly loss the other night. And then I kind of, you know, <laughs> had second thoughts there. I think the one team that's been really consistent all year and and really, I, I think might be able to take a step is Houston. I've, I've just been so impressed to, to what they've kind of done all year and the consistency with which they played. And the other team that I noticed have really played to a high number all year and, and, it's hard to kind of tell because they're playing in the, you know, they're playing, they're not playing in the Big Ten where they're playing every, each other every night, but Creighton's played pretty well. So, you know, I think Houston and Creighton, one of those teams to me could make a push and make some kind of run. I don't think they have anything for Gonzaga or Baylor or Michigan, but I definitely think they can make some noise. Houston just got Fabian White and looking at the Circus Sports odds board for the college basketball futures, 
Houston tied for the four shortest odds, I believe, right now, unless some action's coming over the last day or so with Iowa. So going to the Big Ten, Iowa played probably their best defensive game in terms of a major game on Sunday against Ohio State. Ohio State's dropped back in the market. Can Iowa make a run in the tournament? And I, I know the overall perception on a year-by-year basis, and it's the same for me, is can this team defend? But they're definitely defending better than in years past. Yeah, that's that's what I've kind of read um, all year is the three-man weave guys have, have all year said that Iowa cannot win because they don't play defense. And, you know, I, I respect those guys, and I've, I've kind of factored that thought process to my odds. And as high a power rating as I've had them playing to, in the back of my head, I'm still like, yeah, but they don't play defense. They're not going to win. But I will say that all those Big Ten teams have just been so close all year in terms of Iowa, Illinois, um, Ohio State. Even even Michigan State recently kind of got into that fray with, you know, before they uh, lost the last game. But they, they've been playing well. And it, it's crazy how much I just kind of flip those teams. and I go from like 16 to 26 in that kind of neighborhood back and forth. And, and if you sit and watch the Big Ten odds for a week, you'll – you'll probably see each one of those teams will touch the twenties at some point, And they'll probably all dip down to like 19 or 16 based on, you know, how they looked recent. Cause honestly, the futures, I, I'm trying to use the, your perception against you. So when somebody, when somebody plays well, I'm probably going to lower them. Cause I know I can probably still get a bite at like 19 to one instead of giving you 21, even if I don't really like the team. So I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a good number for the house. Um, but yeah, it's just, I, I've never seen it like it with these big 10 teams just kind of bouncing in this window where it's like, rotating about who's the best Big Ten team. You know, Ohio State's the one that's looked the worst recently, but I'm sure that'll change in a week. Matt, give us a team that's going to bust everyone's brackets, a team that's going to have everyone shaking their head in that first or second game and uh, throwing their brackets in the trash. I, You know, I, I don't know if those scenarios exist as much anymore because the the public and, and everyone is so well-educated, and it's like, you know, you want to, you want to say Loyola Chicago, but it's like, everybody and their mother knows Loyola Chicago is a, a good team. And when they made the run a couple of years ago, like it's just not a secret anymore. So um, I, I like Loyola Chicago in terms of being a team that, uh, you know, is playing well and is not, not a, a big conference name. I mean, Belmont's obviously been playing well. You know, I see, I see Georgia tech up on my list, like 23rd and, and that kind of even surprises me as I'm looking at this. Cause I, you know, you don't think of Georgia tech as, as being one of those top teams. I, I don't know. There's, there's some good teams out there. I like, I think Colorado, I think, has been has been playing solidly the past couple of weeks. Um, yeah, but I, I just I don't see as many surprises as there as there used to be. Yeah. I'm with you. You know, you mentioned Georgia Tech. They're probably gonna get in. Alvarado's playing some really good ball at the point. DeVoe could shoot it. Moses Wright is one of the most underrated bigs in college basketball. And they, they're playing Duke tonight and they're like one and a half, two point favorites. I think the market's a little low on them. They're kind of on my eye too to make a maybe a little bit of a run in the dance. The Big 12, we were DMing about this the other day, Matt. So looking at the the odds board here, uh, Texas Tech is still 40 to 1, just looking at the the full construct of the Big 12. Obviously, Baylor is around, like you mentioned, plus 500 to win the title. But then you look at the rest of the Big 12, the second, the second team up on, on the odds board at Circa is Texas Tech at 40 to 1. Then Kansas 47 to 1, Texas 47 to 1, West Virginia 47 to 1. And the Mountaineers are, I believe, second in the conference. I, I like the Big 12. I think that they've kind of little got lost in the shuffle, and Texas Tech has appeared to not be as good as they've been in the past couple of years, but they seem to be making a run now. The team that's really baffled me from a futures book perspective has been Texas. Um, all Texas does is lose, and all I do is take big bets on Texas every time I creep them above 40. This is kind of the first time where I've kind of gotten them up there and no one's really bet them, but we have a ton of Texas liability, and and I, and I like the team, and, and it was high on them preseason, but just recently, you know, they just haven't really been able to win these games, but 
there's they're a team that come tournament time I'm still scared of and so I don't really want to step out on them and 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 force a bet because honestly if I if I booked their to their power rating right now and what they're applying to I'd probably have them closer to 80 to 1 um but I do respect them and I, and I just had this feeling that they're going to do something in the tournament and I and we're like I said we're so exposed um Kansas has obviously made a big run uh the past couple of weeks and and you know I I've dropped them accordingly we probably had them up in the 125 to one range at some point. And it's obvious they're playing as good as anybody. And uh, besides Baylor in the big 12 right now. Um, but, you know, whenever you have a team, that's kind of the classy thing I said with Villanova, you know, when you have a team like that, that's, that's the program is used to being there. They have the potential to elevate come the tournament time. And so you have to respect them. Um, yeah. And, and Texas tech, you know, you have to respect what Beard does every year. So, so all these things are going through your mind when you're in futures and you're saying like, I know this team is playing terrible now, but do I want to step out on a limb and offer 80 to one just because they're not playing well and then have it come back to bite me in March. And so you always kind of have to be thinking ahead and, you know, trying to get ahead of where the betting public's mind is when you're adjusting these futures. Matt, for someone like me who likes to bet smaller conferences, the the tournament's kind of a different betting strategy. There's no spots in the Patriot league to hit. What is the one big adjustment you think betters need to make or don't make when betting the tournament? Just in terms of take or, or the smaller teams, like in the tournament, you mean? No, just a overall betting strategy because it's a little bit different. You don't have all these conferences, all these teams day to day. Is there is there a, a strategy you go into the tournament that's different than the regular season? Whenever whenever I'm looking at like a large slate of neutral games, whether it's you know a pre like kind of an early season tournament or, or a conference tournament, I'm, I'm always going to need a little more of a push to play or, or a discrepancy to play a favorite. I, I tend to think those games kind of always lend themselves to kind of kind of the underdog to some degree. So, I mean, that, that's kind of the one adjustment. When the, when the spreads start to get up in the like 16 to 20 range, a lot of times I'll knock off a couple points off my raw number just because I think covering a big number on neutral in, in a tournament scenario is a little bit different than, than playing at home and, and you know, covering a big number there. So that, that's something I kind of look at. But for the most part, you know, you, you want to look at these teams in these tournament settings and just ask yourself, like, are, are they a well-coached team? Are they a team that – has, has kind of been in the tournament before and do, do they play smart basketball? And, you know, if you, if you got a team like Belmont who you've seen year after year kind of play in these tournaments and, and know that they're well coached, they know how to handle themselves. You know um, there, there's, there's always the tendency for them to, uh, to be able to step up and, and give these bigger schools a game. And, and I think everybody knows that that's kind of why I get back to that. It's just, it's in the spread, you know, 10 years ago, you, you could grab double digits on some of these games and now you're taking plus seven. So it's, it's all to some degree priced in the market is so much sharper than it used to be. And, and in some instances, I think creating more value on the, on the bigger team against the smaller team, because they're just, it's so overbet now to some degree. You mentioned teams like Texas, just kind of going back to the odds board here where you're getting some action when you raise them above 40 to one or above 50 to one in terms of the, the other programs, the other high major programs like Illinois, and some others, like where else are you seeing the the action uh, lower on the odds board among the teams you haven't mentioned yet? I think we took we took Kansas money when they started to play well, and then I think we kind of adjusted and got where we needed to be. Um, it's it's been really top heavy though. I think the, the the majority of the money has come in on the top ten teams, and I and I'm I'm trying to look down the board and see if I've seen anything. You know, I took a bet at West Virginia at forty seven to one. I think we're at forty to one now on them um, as of a couple of days ago. Um, but no, it's it's been. I I think the public has has said that one of these top ten teams is 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 going to come in and win this, and, and they just I don't think they're really looking as a whole for long shots right now. They just it's been kind of a you know everybody everybody in that glut of teams below the top three they kind of see us live, but past that I don't think they think anyone's really playing to that great a level to do it. Last question for me: Do you have any futures? You're you you uh, shopped around for in Vegas the last couple of weeks or during the season? 
No, funny enough, I, I like haven't made a bet this year, which is crazy. I, I normally I have some some futures and I bet a lot of futures, but no, I've just been too busy and we've been get back opening after the pandemic. And, um, you know, frankly, I don't like I think I have like one app right now. I have the South Point app. I think I took all my out of my other apps. So I have no outs. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, well, that is Matt Metcalf. You can follow him on Twitter at MMPAC. He's the sportsbook director at Circa Sports. Anything you want to promote for, for Circa if anyone's heading out to Vegas for the conference tournaments or, or March Madness? Um, yeah, we just invite everybody who's coming out here to come down downtown to Circa and check out the, the new book we built. Um, you know, it's it's a it's probably the most incredible sports book I've seen. Um, Derek Stevens just put kind of 20 years of inspiration into creating this this mecca for for sports bettors. And I, and I, I honestly, I was blown away the other day. I was sitting up at uh, stadium swim, just thinking what that's going to look like. You know, we built this big new pool with uh, this incredible viewing experience in terms of seeing what the game is going to look like out there. I, I think it's a, it's going to be a, um, an atmosphere for March madness, unlike anyone that's ever existed in the world. And I know that's saying a, a lot, but I, I cannot imagine like a livelier or a rowdier scenario or just a better situation to watch college basketball. And so definitely try to check out stadium swim and, and circa downtown. Tom and I will be out there at some point in the next year. We'll see when, when that actually you, happens. You can bet on that. Of course. <laughs> uh, appreciate the time, Matt. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on, on back All right. Good talking to you guys. Matt Metcalf. You can follow him on Twitter again at MM packed. That does it for the back podcast, Tom, as we look ahead to March. Yeah. And a big takeaway for me, cause it's something I noticed over the last decade there's more value on the first round favorites now. These teams used to be plus 15, plus 16. Now, now they're like plus eight, plus nine. That's that's an adjustment I've made over the years, and I thought it was a very good point by him. Especially those 12-5 matchups, because that's always what public batters are looking at, right? That's the expected matchup. That's the expected upset to happen. What we've seen over the last three to four years, that the 12-5 isn't always guaranteed. The one that stands out that happened a couple of years ago was Murray State Marquette. And, and that that worked, but it doesn't always work in your favor. And like like he said, like you said, the public seems to drive that line down towards the favorite a little bit. Yeah, and we always say Kansas Northeastern. You know, the, the geez, I think Northeastern uh, closed as a favorite uh, over Kansas. I mean, uh, so many people were betting that down, right? And uh, I like Northeastern in that matchup, but you just you took all the value away. So those are things to look at in the tournament that sometimes the value goes the other way. It's Tom Casali at the Tom Casali. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich at Eli Herskovich. Good podcast, man. And good luck on your bets the rest of the way, the rest of the week. We appreciate everyone uh, listening to the pod today. If you enjoyed it, uh, whatever day you listen to it this week, we'll be live on BetQLU on Facebook and Twitter Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And we would also appreciate it if you subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating on the BetQLU podcast. Until Saturday, we'll talk to you then. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.